0: When we go into the silence of the mind,
1: it's always good to see what we leave behind being perhaps more coarse, and what we turn the mind towards being more subtle,
0: more silent, more refined. But
1: it may take a while to make the transition. If we venture, deep enough, into the mind, heart. We're able to experience the mind without referring to the world, without being caught up in thought, without being burdened by defilements and impurities that intrude and distract us from our internal gaze. When we're able to distance ourselves from the noise and rant of worldly preoccupation, we may experience a silence, an inner quiet that can be so
0: enthralling and blissful. But
1: there are many steps left besides that. That's just a glimmer of what we can truly realize. It's almost as if you come to a lake in the heat of the day and you put your foot in the water, and the water feels so cool and pleasing that you want to enter more and bathe and soak in that. But to be able to do that, we have to really perfect certain qualities. One of them is. This turning away from the world. We're consciously abandoning the hindrances. So, if greed arises, if ill will arises, if restlessness arises, if dullness arises, if doubt arises, we know that they detract from the riches of the journey. So, we learn to quickly abandon them. In abandoning them, we have engaged in an act of purification.
0: Whether we realize it or not, it's quite
1: significant. It's like cleaning a tarnished brass dish or vase. We're tarnished. And when we go in, we have to polish And you polish and polish. You go in there and you spend time in the inner space, purifying, cleaning, polishing,
0: scrubbing, taking out what doesn't belong.
1: How do we know what doesn't belong? We know because it disturbs the potency and the peace of the inner Journey of our ability to see clearly. It dulls our view. It keeps us from going more deeply into the cool, unknown space of the mind
0: that we long to enter. So we
1: keep abandoning all those impurities of mind that arise. And try to drag us back into our worldly cares and concerns. And as we purify, the mind, the pure mind, becomes more and more apparent to us. It reveals itself.
0: All the tools that the Buddha gives us instructs us in our
1: aids helpers, assistants, supports to enhance this process, to give us access to the depths. We think that in those depths, we will discover a way to be so happy that we won't have to suffer anymore. But the truth is much more profound because in that process, we have to let go so much. It's the ultimate renunciation. But initially, we think that what we're headed for is something that we're going to get. But there is no one to get anything. There is no one. So our motive might actually be quite selfish. As long as we are unable to go beyond that concept or that belief in the self, that attachment to this self that longs for wants, the something that it thinks it doesn't have, we're so blinded by that wrong understanding. But if we go inward, completely giving up, renouncing all our concepts, all our beliefs,
0: all our conceits, all our views,
1: we go in empty handed. We surrender to this process of purification. We reach closer and closer to that center point from which we will have the most exhilarating view. Then we prepare ourselves to receive a profound knowledge of the truth. But it means we have to give up all our notions of what we know about who we think we are. We have to give it all up. It is perhaps the greatest renunciation, but it's one that we actually resist defiantly. Even as we devote ourselves to this meditation practice, there is still a level of resistance to renouncing too much. Purification
0: must be complete for us to gain
1: the highest riches where this practice can take us, where we can know the most ultimate wisdom.
0: We can gain that. The ability to really see. The ability to understand
1: the truth. The truth of why we're here. Why we're engaging in this process. And what ultimately it can reveal. So what it will reveal to us is already within us. It isn't a gaining of some success or some
0: materiality. The truth is to be known and embodied. And that seed is already within us. We just
1: need to water it properly and grow it, to polish away all the obstacles that prevent us from doing this, that obstruct our ability to really give our complete and unrivaled attention. Unrivaled means that nothing else is detracting our attention from knowing that reality.
0: The other quality that is very difficult to perfect and to develop fully is patience. We're in such a hurry. We've been trained to hurry along, to have more. More what? More of what we don't know. We just don't know. But if it's more, we
1: trust that the more the better. So encumbered are we that actually the less that we carry, the less that we have, the less that we can identify with, the deeper we can understand how to wait, how to value each moment,
0: how to stand in the light of the truth. How to let it shine within us, how to care for it. And this is where restraint comes in to restrain, to be patient in difficulty,
1: to endure, to endure in a way that may help us to renounce. See how these two qualities really support each other. And also, patience requires us to be fearless. And we see how we are socialized to hurry and to be quick in doing and getting,
0: in speaking, even in eating, in everything. But we're not quick to die. We might die
1: quickly but we are not eager for that in fact that's perhaps the thing we fear the most is death not knowing really what is it that
0: dies who dies there is no one to die and this is the great discovery of the path as
1: we move towards that which is deathless and the contemplation of death, death of the body, death of our clinging to everything,
0: clinging to anything. It all dies moment by moment. Every moment is a death.
1: The more we Realize this and walk in that direction of realizing the
0: deathless, the greater our patience and the less we fear the unknown or the known because we're frightened of fear itself. Patience is love, true faith. Is fearless. Those who truly love understand fear and they want for nothing. So we can ask ourselves what is the quality of our love of the Dhamma? Do we
1: have enough patience to truly love this Dhamma? Do we have the faith to practice
0: it fearlessly? Can we want for nothing? Just some questions we can ask ourselves. Because the journey is long
1: and it's not easy to sustain that level of perseverance. So there will always be a very long time and unpredictably sometimes there will be ups and downs troughs and peaks that we have to go through and we're always learning something but if we have expectations oh now i'm now i'm free now i can do this now i have this kind of peace and sense of no self or whatever the mind is saying and then you turn a corner and you feel like you go backwards. Oh no, I'm suffering again. But there is that sense of I am suffering, rather than the awareness of dukkha. Because as soon as we're seeing the experiences from the point of view of awareness, then the witness is different from the witnessing. Because there is no witness. But there is the faculty of witnessing, of seeing. We see, we are aware of dukkha, and even that is impermanent. Even moment by moment, it's it's impermanent. It's only our way of seeing that ties it all together and makes it look like one huge conspiracy of suffering. So take little sips, of compassion, just by knowing that the nature of what is being witnessed is impermanent and suffering, it's very difficult to experience, it's unpleasant, and there isn't a self in that. There isn't a self there. So right away, you have seen the truth, you've seen its characteristics, its true characteristics rather than being fascinated in a negative way by how painful it is. And then clinging to that because of habit and creating a self out of that. And then, of course, there's a judgment that this is unbearable. So we have to really sharpen our ability to see with the eyes aware of anicca, dukkha, anatta, and the knowing that there isn't a self that we believe is experiencing this, and this is not punishment. Also contemplate the karmic package each of us has. And there's a cause-effect relationship here, but we may not be able to pinpoint the cause. But this is the result. It's a vipaka. There may be a very distant or many sequences of causes that have brought this about. And it may also be like the chick breaking through the shell. Or like when a child is born, it has to go through the birth canal. It's very painful. Going through the awakening process and shedding the lifetimes of trauma that we've been through. This can be very tortuous. But we we know that This is part of waking up and letting go. We have to let it go in a light way and not hold on to it with heaviness. Because as we resist, we're feeding it. Even if we're resisting it only with our opinion. There might be a subtle I hate this in there. Rather than just knowing of this for what it is, and bringing up the sublime abidings. In this case, compassion would be very, very helpful to abide in a mind and a heart that is compassionate. And then you can take another breath, which is not so heavy, and letting go of expectation, renounce it. As long as we're expecting not to have these kinds of intruders in our life, then when they arrive, the suffering is unbearable. But it's because we thought we were through, we were free. But they are bearable because part of it is what we've created. And we have to look at that and let it go
0: again and again and again. Then the letting go, how very difficult is that to let go?
1: And so we keep practicing. How frightened are we of these apparent monsters that surround us, confront us, defy us? What do you think you're doing? It's like Mara. It's Mara all over again. Mara standing in front of the Buddha and trying to taunt him. So we have to be so patient. Renouncing is letting go. And that patience that is willing to burn without being burned, to sacrifice, to make sacred, to climb the mountain because we can, we have the strength. We have the fortitude. We have a faith that is fearless. We have the trust. So there's a question. Life has started feeling like a huge traumatized experience. How can I move on from that? Really what we have to do is stop thinking about our experience, and just feel the present moment. What does this moment feel like? Don't think about the past. Don't think about the future. But just breathe right now. Is this breath traumatic? Can we breathe? Can we feel the blessing of one breath at a time? To be able to feel the present moment and just be present in this moment is a beginning we just start with that and then take another breath and another breath without thoughts about the breath but just the feeling of breathing so this is about getting to know the body embodying and being with the body and being content with one breath at a time No matter what kind of traumatic experience we've had in the past, we still can breathe. And the ability to breathe in this way can be a tremendously liberating
0: beginning. It won't happen fast.
1: We have to be patient. We have to start where we are. Thinking about it, opinionizing will not. Give us a result. It's the real embodying and being with the breath just for one breath at a time. Then let the breath speak to us. What is the breath
0: saying? What does it feel like viscerally? Can we stay with the in breath, with the gap, and then with the out breath? And follow that process more and more and more.
1: All of us have had some kind of traumatic experience, some more than others. And the human life is like a spiritual test. It's a series, it's a constant series of spiritual testing to see how we're getting along in this process. And we think, well, where's the end of the test? Well, it may never end until it ends. It's not our business to know when it ends. The project is to keep going
0: until we can breathe more freely, more joyfully,
1: more gratefully, so that every breath is a blessing. It is, actually. Even if it doesn't feel like a blessing, if we can bring the sense of blessing into it, what life brings, we don't know how we're going to be tested, what will be taken from us. We don't know. But if we practice in these ways, we will gain an inner strength that will help us go through every
0: blow Anything that happens, we will have the strength to face it, to live through it,
1: to be with it, not to be defeated by it. Even if we have to give up our life, we will not fall victim to fear. Even if we feel fear, if we have enough wherewithal, enough presence of mind, we can know that feeling of fear, and turn it into acceptance, understanding, blessing, non-fear. Turning the mind to that which trusts the goodness within us, trusts the spiritual goodness that we're growing, trusts that our good kamma will take us to a better rebirth if we're dying, or will lead us to freedom. But our opinions will not free us. Not for a moment.
0: The world seems to be
1: in a state of the media talking to us and the Buddha not being heard like the media message. And so we get into these spirals of more and more fear. But we have to remember that this experience is a tremendous teacher of patience.
0: And we have a lot to learn yet.
1: So whatever we have to face is part of our learning experience. And if we can stay true to the path and to what we know works in this practice, then just turn off the alarm bells that are going off everywhere and take care of each other. The greatest care is what's happening within the heart. The care of the nurturing of these qualities of patience, renunciation, and love, trust, generosity, and wisdom through our practice of being present here and now for what's arising rather than going to the future or moaning about the past. Then we will be able to sail through this time and practice well, no matter what's going on. And also be a strength, a pillar for other beings that are
0: struggling with what they're facing.